Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. And we are back for another weekend episode because I'm trying to release these episodes after uh, the Patriots preseason games when possible, when the timing permits. They played on Thursday night the last two weeks. So um, it gives me an opportunity to kind of hit on what's going on with Patriots in preseason. This isn't an always going to be an all Boston sports podcast. We're going to hit on some non-Boston sports topics tonight, but uh, there's national desire to talk about the Patriots, Cam Newton, Mac Jones. A lot of people, as I've said before, will have you believe that no one cares. And yet, when I got on the conference calls this morning at work, one of the first topics of conversation was the Patriots. Now, yes, they were the only NFL game, but there's a lot to talk about there. And so we're going to hit on that. There is a little bit of LeBron controversy I want to talk about. For those who already know me, you know, I'm a big LeBron fan. I tend to argue on behalf of LeBron as the GOAT over Michael Jordan. I believe his body of work is unprecedented in the league, especially in a league where shooting is so efficient and he has sort of crossed two different generations. I think LeBron is the GOAT. However, we have very un-GOAT-like behavior from LeBron over the last few days, and I think it needs to be discussed because I'm getting sick and tired of NBA players and team sports athletes in general getting so personally worked up that not everything is about them. So we're going to hit on uh, LeBron, the LeBron controversy from the last few days, and I'm going to do my first Top three. I used to do these all the time, these top three whatever is in the NFL for um, USA Today and these different places when I would do videos for them while I was writing. And I want to get back to that. So we're going to do the three most underrated NFL teams heading into the regular season as we get through preseason that are in positions to succeed that we're either not talking about enough or we're distracted about other things. So I have three teams we should be talking about more heading into the regular season. And finally, update. We have a news update about the Jeopardy disaster that I talked about last week. Their uh, breaking news. Mike Richards, who was tapped to be the next host, has stepped down after a truly blistering expose from Claire McNear at The Ringer. It was an incredible read. Um, I'm excited to break it all down with you, tell you where things stand, and maybe uh, purge some of the darkness I've been holding on to uh, since last week after I gave you guys that rant. So we're going to hit on all of that. Let's just get to it. That stuff coming up. The Patriots walloped the Eagles in Philadelphia on Thursday night, 35 to nothing. Basically, all phases of the game, as Bill Belichick likes to say, were clicking. Everyone was doing their best. We had some standout performances from some guys trying to make the team. Uh, So it was an overall great performance. But of course, the biggest thing coming out of the game is how did Cam Newton and Mac Jones look? Where does the quarterback battle stand? We are not going to escape this. I fear that regardless of who starts uh, in week one, it's going to be a conversation every week. Someone plays poorly. We're going to start talking about, do they bring in the next guy, whatever. 
so this conversation is not going anywhere. I don't, you know, I don't want to have tunnel vision on this topic, but it is a huge point of discussion across NFL media and among NFL fans right now. And so we're going to talk about it. Uh, Cam Newton looked great. And he looked great without them even really employing him in the run game. I feel like Belichick and McDaniels are trying not to show their cards, trying not to show their hand. Uh, so they're not doing a lot with Cam in the run game. Um, but he has gotten the start both games. He did again on Thursday night. Uh, he went eight of nine for 103 yards and a touchdown. It was a great touchdown down the sideline to Jacoby Myers. Um, everything looked good. A couple of good deep throws. He was pretty accurate down the field. He is looking much better on those screen passes, those short, quick passes. The biggest thing that I noticed was that there were a few times where the pocket was collapsing. And normally I just am so frustrated with Cam's inability to feel that pressure and to sense it and to move out of the way. And I know that we've been spoiled with Tom Brady for the last 20 years, who is easily the greatest, I think of all time at sensing that pressure and moving around it in the pocket. We got spoiled by it, uh, but Cam's uniquely bad at it for somebody as big as he is. And he did a great job at that. Now the Eagles weren't, didn't bring out their starting defensive line. There were some backup second string guys in there, but still guys who are going to make the roster and Cam looked like he did pretty well against that. It was great. His arm looked good. He was accurate. Uh, Strength looks like it's there. It's definitely improved. And before I get into sort of the reaction to that, um, I will say that I feel like Mac Jones had a pretty good game too. He ended up going 13 of 19 for 146 yards, no touchdowns, but no turnovers. You got to love to see it. And Brian Moyer actually did his job at the back end of the game as well. So uh, all the quarterbacks clicking. Uh, Mac had his biggest issue in the game was his sort of game management at the end of the sec at the end of the first half. Um, he is a rookie. There are so many times where I think because he's so composed and he has that quick release and he looks so comfortable on the field, even in the hurry up, um, people are lulled into a false sense of security. This guy is still a rookie. He played one season in college, doesn't have a ton of experience at this high of a level. He has a huge leg up because he played for Nick Saban. And I think that that's a really pro style coach to play for in college. So it's, it's great that he has the amount of experience that he does have, but he certainly doesn't have the amount of experience that someone like Trevor Lawrence or these multi-year starters do. And that's going to show. And that's why I've been harping on this all off season that this guy, like no matter how zippy his little passes look, no matter how quick he gets the ball out, no matter how comfortable he looks, pre-snap, all that stuff, it's he is still going to face a lot of variables that he just isn't prepared for as a rookie, especially as a rookie who's limited athletically, not mobile, and doesn't have the strongest arm. We saw, a, I will say, we saw a gorgeous pass, like 50 air yard pass down the left sideline to Nikhil Harry. Ended up not working out, Nikhil... You got to give him an A for effort. He laid out for the ball, went right through his hands. He landed on his shoulder, hurt himself. It was this gorgeous pass that could have been something really special. Um, ended up not being so good for Nikhil. And, you know, I know a lot of people want to see that kind of stuff from, from Mac because you want to see where his arm strength is. You want to see him be able to make those big plays downfield when he senses the opportunity there, which I like. However, tough catch. And I think it's um, there's been a couple of those from both Cam and Mac, but, but mostly Mac, because he's had more reps where you can see the limits of the receiving game and that sense that like they don't have a true number one receiver 
who's going to catch those balls because it was put in the spot where he could catch it. Did he have to dive for it a little? Yes. But again, if you can catch the ball, if it's this, if it's going through your hands, it's a catchable ball. And this is the NFL. So you got to be able to make those plays, but that was nice. It was nice to see him because I, I did see in those shorter 15 to 20 yard passes, the zippier ones. I do feel like he's putting everything he has behind those throws and I, and they're falling off a little, um, you know, I, there's some people who I think are seeing what they want to see with Mac sometimes only oh, place the ball right where, you know, where, right where he could catch it. So he didn't, you know, he didn't take any big hits from the defenders. And it's like, eh, I think it just lost its zip at the end. There's a lot of like bending down to catch Mac Jones catches and that's okay. They're on target. They're accurate. It's I'm not super worried about it, but I also think that like there's some room to grow in terms of his timing and his ability to really get the strength so that those balls are not are either hitting players in stride, hitting them more in the chest. You know, you want to see a little bit more growth on that front. I, again, like I like what I've seen from Mac. I think he's kind of like the perfect McDaniels quarterback um, in a lot of ways, perfect McDaniels and Belichick quarterback. Uh, because he is reliable in the fundamentals, the limits of his athleticism and his arm will, you know, we'll see where that goes as he progresses in the league. Um, but again, he's a rookie and I'm not sure he's prepared for these like big moments. If he couldn't handle the end of a preseason game against the crappy Eagles and their second and third stringers, I'm not sure how you roll him out against Brian Flores's defense in week one. Just seems crazy to me. The rest of media and fans seem to have a little bit of an identity crisis. Um, it was pretty clear that Cam Newton was the better quarterback on the field in the in the limited amount of time that we saw him, um, most of the first quarter. So, you know, Belichick is starting this guy in the games. He's giving him the starter reps, as I talked about last week. Uh, he comes out, his arm looks good, his timing looks good, his pocket awareness looks good. They're not even putting him in real RPO and running situations, any designed runs, anything like that. So I think we've seen like 35, 40% of what Cam can really even do in these tiny little moments in preseason. And I think that's strategic. I don't think Belichick wants to show everybody what he can do with Cam on the ground and all of these running backs. The running game yesterday was insane. It was insane. Uh, this team is clearly built to run. And I think if you have a player like Cam Newton, who can really get the ball downfield, who's accurate downfield, that's what's going to open things up for this team. I don't, I just don't see Mac being able to do that regularly and consistently enough at this point in time in a real NFL game, full speed, first team starters, all of it being able to handle that. Going to the rushing side of the ball, J.J. Taylor led the team with 93 rushing yards. He had a touchdown. But we had another two touchdowns from Armandre Stevenson. He's been having a great preseason. Uh, Patriots fans know better than to get all excited about a random new, whether it's a rookie or a random new running back who seems to be going insane. Um, we've seen this time and time and time again. Uh, Bill Belichick and McDaniels are masters at putting uh, running backs into the situation and figuring out which one matches up and how they can thrive in against a certain type of defense. And so whether it's been Dion Lewis or the random Jonas Gray years, or even going all the way back to the Antoine Smiths and Ben Jarvis Green Ellis and all of these guys who've had like these little stints with the team, they know how to use these guys. So we'll see what Ramondre turns into, but really promising just overall as a group, as a unit, the running backs are carrying the offense in preseason and that is, a, I genuinely think, a sign of what Belichick and McDaniels are looking to do all season. 
They do not have an elite wide receiver core. We have yet to see what Hunter Henry can do because again, he's battling injury. I think the running backs and the tight ends are going to be the core of this offense. And then they're going to have Jacoby and Nelson Aguilar and these guys who can kind of get on the outside, get downfield and open things up a little bit. 44 carries for 207 yards and four touchdowns for the running backs. I mean, I tweeted last night. I really think this <laughs> Belichick is like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to run this team like it's the 1970s and I'm going to dare the NFL to, I'm going to tell me I can't, I'm going to dare him to tell me I can't, I'm going to dare Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Andy Reid and all the offensive geniuses across the league to tell me I can't do this. Don't know if it's going to work, but it is interesting because they are deep, if not elite at the wide, at the running back position. And Paired with Cam Newton, if he can play the way he played in a in you know big time situations, if he has the ability to stay consistent, I think we could have one of those weird niche years where Belichick just pulls another rabbit out of the hat. This morning, media is having a little bit of an identity crisis. Last week, oh my gosh, Mac threw for eighty seven yards. Can you even believe it? He looks amazing. Um, this week, it was pretty clear which quarterback was the veteran. And that kind of threw people back a little bit, kind of reset them and was like, okay, <laughs> maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves. Yes, of course you did. God forbid everybody take a step back and look at the reality of the situation. You don't put rookies in this situation if you don't have to. You don't disregard a former MVP, a former Super Bowl contender. You don't do it. It seems as though Belichick is creating an offense catered toward Cam, and he has continued to start Cam. And we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what they do in, in, in game three. But overall, Patriots defense, I think they are who we thought they were. I, uh, the one thing I don't want to hear is any surprise about how well Cam Newton can throw the football. I don't, I don't want to hear it. We, if, if you were never going to be willing to say, hey, Maybe Cam's mechanics are a little off because he was coming off a year where he hadn't played at all due to injury and then was went to a new team and didn't have an offseason and didn't have preseason and was replacing Tom Brady with a team full of opt-outs in a pandemic year, then got COVID. And none of that might have convinced you that maybe, maybe Cam Newton wasn't as regressed as he might have looked in an absolutely insane season that I don't know what to tell you. But you don't get to like wake up this morning and be like, wow, Cam looked pretty good. Shut up. Shut up. But you don't write off players like that, considering the conditions he's played under over the last two years. Like, wow, shocking that things look like they might be better. Ugh, I'm so over the faux shock. Everybody's hedging. Everybody like, oh, well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start saying some nice things about Cam now so that I don't look stupid if Belichick starts him which he will enough with your enough. You should not want Mac Jones to have to start. You should not want that. Whatever you saw yesterday from Cam Newton that made you believe that this could, that they could win games with him this season. You should have already known that was there. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Almost shameless with Tiny Ray Fox is brought to you by bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. 
BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50. CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, switching gears. LeBron James is a prolific tweeter, a social media man. He puts himself out there. He is a man of the people. And so he, he sounds off on basically everything that's happening at all times, uh, at, especially in the NBA, but even in other sports. You know, LeBron is everywhere. If there's an Olympian doing something cool, LeBron's there. If the NFL players are doing something cool, LeBron's there. He is a man of the people. He is an American icon, an institution. He is a part of the zeitgeist. But I'm going to say there's times where when he's involved, it feels like he needs to maybe learn to take a step back for a second. So here's the deal. ESPN published a survey this week uh, that had pulled 10 anonymous execs and scouts from the NBA on various different off-season, last-season stuff around the league. And one of the things they asked them to vote on was the best player in the NBA. So five of those votes went to Giannis, and five of those votes went to Kevin Durant. Giannis Antetokounmpo, reigning NBA champion, reigning NBA finals MVP. Kevin Durant, reigning Olympic gold medalist. And perhaps one of the most dynamic players across the postseason while he was in it. Both seem pretty obvious. And maybe the Giannis one's a little bit prisoner of the moment. Um, the Durant's one's certainly not. Kevin Durant's been one of the best players in the NBA the whole time he's been in the NBA. And he's had an incredible season, an incredible summer. One that has really convinced me personally that he is special on another level than even I knew, right? He's just had a really special summer as a, and, and his dedication to the game of basketball is to be admired. And if you're an executive or a scout and you see how much the game matters to Kevin Durant outside all of the other bullshit, it's hard not to elevate him to the net, not that next level, which is best player in the NBA. I don't think there's a lot of people who disagree with that. Um, there might be people who disagree with the honest one. I do, um, but I certainly am not offended by it by any means. And I totally get it. However, LeBron reacted to this news by tweeting, thank you in all capitals as if I didn't need more to fuel me. Hashtag washed king. Okay, now a day before tweeting this, he had tweeted at the NBA 2K22 uh, Twitter account that he thought Steph Curry and Kevin Durant's rankings uh, ratings were too low. They were both rated at 96. He said they should both be at 99. So LeBron has already put out there that he thinks Kevin Durant should be a 99 rated player on NBA 2K22, and then he goes out and tweets this. So I'm assuming that his offense is taken because of the Giannis votes and not the Kevin Durant ones, because it's like Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP this year. Like, he's been one of the best players in the NFL. Like, he was going to win it. It's it's going to happen. Like, it can't always be Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so I'm assuming his offense is taken with the Giannis votes, which is like, dude, it's fine. There are five random NBA scouts and executives we don't even know who they are it's not a big deal i just don't understand what he feels like he's getting from this like like if you want that for bulletin board material let it fester 
like put it on a little sticky note in your locker and let it fester and let it grow and let it drive you and be angry. Don't like vent it out to the world because it's going to make you look petty, which you're not like, don't be petty. Come on. You're putting like, you're putting Giannis in a weird spot there because everybody knows you can't really be mad at the Durant stuff. And if I think if all 10 votes had gone to Durant, he wouldn't have tweeted that. It's just, he's just mad that there was another person and the other person wasn't him. Um, and I don't think he's like actually mad losing sleep over it. I think part of this is just the LeBron, like I want to be out there and have people talking and that's fine. I'm same. It just, this whole thing, especially in the NBA of being incredibly supportive of each other and out there tweeting, and I'm going to be on the, I'm going to get beat by the Suns, And then I'm going to go cheer on Chris Paul. I get whiplash from it. Like, are you guys the ultimate sort of like cutthroat competitors? Like you want to be named the best player in the NBA every year, Kobe style, or are you of a different, you know, a different mindset, a sort of new generation of players who does the talking through the rings and the, the MVPs and the, and the title runs and all that stuff. And doesn't need that constant front facing rivalry with players. Like which one are you? Because I'm starting to get a little lost here. People have had a lot to say about the Russell Westbrook signing and what's going to happen if Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. Um, he's getting old. He's actually getting hurt. You know, there's some insecurities there, but like, dude, chill, just chill out. Call Tom Brady, have him tell you how to handle this stuff. Have him tell you how to internalize it to create your maximum potential. Have a little, go, go on the yacht, go out golfing, whatever you need to do. Tom will, Tom will help you figure this out. Hot stuff coming up. Okay. And so I'm giving you, I'm, I'm breaking the rules. I'm going from NFL to NBA back to NFL because I wanted to get the main stories out of the way. But before we get off NFL completely, I do want to run through my three most underrated NFL rosters, NFL teams heading into the back end of preseason and into the beginning of the regular season. Three teams I feel like we aren't talking about uh, to their fullest potential. And the first team, number one across the NFL that I think is the most underrated, that people are not talking nearly enough about, that people seem to be underestimating is the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray has helped the Arizona Cardinals over the last couple of seasons, but specifically last season, become one of the most efficient rushing offenses in the league. He, his ability to scramble and get out and do things out of the pocket is elite. His decision-making and, and, and some of the throws that he makes and some of his like connection with Cliff Kingsbury leaves a little bit to be desired, but Kyler Murray is an exceptional quarterback with a super high ceiling, right? Now he's got DeAndre Hopkins. We saw how well that went last year. DeAndre Hopkins is lights out one of the best receivers in the league. If not, depending on year to year, the best receiver in the league. Now they have AJ Green, who by all accounts coming out of Arizona and the people who've been at camp say he looks like he's in five years ago, AJ Green form. Now again, that is contingent on him staying healthy, but certainly not to be overlooked. That's for sure. If AJ Green can play even like 80% of prime AJ Green, that's a terrifying wide receiver duo uh, with a, both of whom can be deep threats with a quarterback who can sling the ball 80 air yards. I don't know why we're not talking about that more. JJ Watt, you know, I think people th think of JJ Watt as having regressed because he's not winning uh, defensive player of the years anymore. 
but he's been one of the best defensive linemen in the league for the last three years still. He's still an incredibly efficient player, uh, a, a dynamic player, and that's, a, that's somebody that you can't just overlook. They still have Chandler Jones, who I <laughs> he said he wanted to trade. He's still on the team. We all know how that goes. He's probably going to stay with the team. But if he does, that's terrifying to have Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. I know that they're in a difficult division, but I just – and I'm not saying that I think they're going to win the NFC West – I'm just saying this is a team no one is talking about, and they regularly beat each of the teams in their division at least once a year. It's a very even division in terms of playing within itself. So they're going to win games in the NFC West. They're going to do it. It just it happens every year. Go back and look at how many times, even when the Cardinals were really bad, they would go to Seattle and beat Seattle, go to the Niners and beat the Niners. You know, that division, I think, is more up for grabs than people realize that it's not just between... those other three teams I really think Arizona's in the mix at least if not for the division to win games in the division and play spoiler and potentially get in as a wild card and caught and you know and make some real noise the second team I think we're underrating is the New York Giants I will say I made a rule before I made this list that I had to put a NFC East team on the list because inevitably we're we go into the NFL season thinking we know which NFC East team is good. And it's always a different one every year. Oh, the Cowboys are going to be good this year. Oh, the Washington football team is going to be good this year. Great. So since people think that the Washington football team could be good, I don't like their quarterback situation and people think the Cowboys could be good, but I don't like, I don't know what's going on with Dak starting to make me a little nervous. I have to pick a team out of the NFC East and I'm, it's obviously not going to be the Eagles. And I got to say, I think I might have, a little bit of Stockholm syndrome from the Giants because I cannot, for the life of me, not like Daniel Jones. I like Daniel Jones. I keep thinking, I honestly think he's going to be good. I still, in my head, I'm like, no, Daniel Jones, he's got it. It's going to happen. Doesn't have a ton of wide receivers. Doesn't matter. I watched Eli Manning do a lot of uh, winning titles without any great wide receivers. And he really is like Eli Manning light. So I don't know what's, I, I swear, I have to talk to some Giants fans about what it is that, Daniel Jones, what hold he has over me, but I, I still believe, I believe in the kid. Um, so that has a lot to do with it, but more importantly, they have a really improved secondary. And as the years go by, the secondary becomes more and more important as the passing offenses become more prolific, more elite as quarterbacks are getting better at passing earlier on in their careers. The secondary has become important. Um, teams are, playing like base nickel and dime defenses sometimes. And their improved secondary is a huge part of what I think is going to make them a little bit more surprising than people realize. They added three big guys um, in the offseason, uh, James Bradbury, Adore Jackson, and Logan Ryan, who are all capable of making a pretty big difference on their own in that unit, let alone with all three of them being added on. I mean, this is a, this is a potentially top five, top 10 secondary in the league. And if your defense can give you a chance... I like it. I also feel like it's a make or break year for the whole team in general. I think Joe judge has a lot to prove. Um, Certainly Dave Gettleman is hanging on by a thread. So it's kind of, you got to love a make it or break it year. Um, They seem to have done enough to be better than they were. And if Daniel Jones can elevate to an actual starter, a regular NFL starter, then who knows what could happen. Um, I just think that they, we deserve, they deserve a little bit more attention considering the division that they're in. In other divisions, they probably don't have much of a chance, but the NFC East will be the NF- NFC East. It will be up for grabs in week 17, week 18. 
just like it is every single year. It's just how that division goes. And I think that because of that, we should be paying a little bit more attention to what the giant New York Giants can do. And finally, my third most overlooked team, believe it or not, is the Green Bay Packers. We talk about the other four final teams last year a lot, right? We talk about the Bucks and the Chiefs. Everybody considers them to be the favorites to return to the Super Bowl, even though that never happens. Both teams never return back to the Super Bowl. That's insane. But we do it every year. Chiefs, Bucks, and we've talked a ton about the Bills, uh, one of the overall best rosters by far in the NFL. Uh, and they get, you know, we cannot stop talking about them. So everybody considers the Bucks to be the best team in the NFC, the Chiefs and the Bills to be the best teams in the AFC. Not a ton of argument about that. But because of all of this distraction of the drama with Aaron Rodgers in the offseason, uh, and even into preseason, even right now, as he continues to kind of spar- do this like battle of words with, with Gutekunst, I think we've forgotten that that roster is really good. They have one of the best defensive back duos in the league with Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos. And we just talked about how important it, we know the secondary is to success in the NFL in 2021 and beyond. Aaron Rodgers, they appeased Aaron Rodgers with his safety blanket, Randall Cobb. Uh, still has one of the best receivers in the NFL and Devonte Adams. And, you know, they've got solid head coaching. This is a team that went 13 and three last year. Aaron Rodgers wins the MVP. It was the best statistical season of his career. He is clearly still capable of playing at the highest level in the NFL. And they came very close to beating Tom Brady in the Bucks last year. Now, if we've learned anything from the last few years, it's that if you're the team that was in the AFC championship game or the NFC championship game the year before, and you retain that much talent, including your Hall of Fame quarterback, and you have consistency in the roster, that you're, you should be a favorite to go to the Super Bowl. And I don't think enough people are talking about the Packers as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. We know how hard it is to get to back-to-back Super Bowls. Um, the likelihood that Tom Brady gets back to the Super Bowl just based on everything we know is it's not it's not as high I think as we'd like to believe, and this is going to be a boomer bust season for the Packers. You know, this is either going to be a season where Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers come together, everything clicks, and they kind of finally meet their potential, or it all falls apart because Aaron Rodgers is completely checked out and he can't co- and he can't connect with the team, and the team chemistry isn't there, and it falls apart. I don't think we're going to see a middle of the road season. It's either going to be fantastic or just fall apart. But that ceiling is super high. Like for me, the Packers should be the NFC team with the best odds to go to the Super Bowl in 2021 because of the fact that they were so close last year and because the roster looks so similar. And because the Bucs are just dealing with that tiny little bit of that curse of having just one for the first time in franchise history, a bunch of guys who's never who've never been there before who are going to have to overcome that mental hurdle of being the defending champs. It's very hard. So while I know that people understand the Packers roster is really good, I'm not breaking news to anyone. I just feel like they should be in the conversation at the top tier, the top echelon of teams that should be taken really seriously heading into the season, regardless of the, of the Aaron Rodgers drama. We'll know very early on within the first couple of weeks, if things are going to work out for the Packers or not. And if they get through those first couple of games and Aaron Rodgers is playing at an MVP level again, and they're two, three, four, and oh, 
um, we're going to know very quickly that we should have been maybe talking about this team a little bit more even than we have been. Shall we? Okay, this has been a long episode, so I'm going to keep this short. Mike Richards, on Friday morning, released a statement through Sony that he will be stepping down from the hosting position. The day he was supposed to start filming new episodes, they have to delay production because he got his ass called out hard by some seriously good reporting from Claire McNear at The Ringer. I cannot go through everything in this piece with you. You have to go read it. Um, I will try to link it in the bio of the podcast feed so that you can go and read it yourself because there's a ton of information there. It's very in-depth. It goes into his history in show business in general, going up through the game shows, coming up through the ranks at Price is Right, some seriously problematic stuff from his podcast back in 2013, 14, 15 area of time. Um, there are sound bites from that, clips from that, quotes from that. Uh, the process that was pretty janky in terms of his how much he had control over what tapes were being considered by Sony for the hosting gig, the conflict of interest of him preparing other guest hosts for their guest hosting roles while he was also competing for the job. Um, there's a lot in there that I had no idea about and just a lot of stuff that makes, you know, makes a ton of sense. It seems like common sense that there would be a lot of conflict of interest with the EP of a show stepping in to host it and then wanting to, to win that job while also running the show and bringing in the other hosts he's competing with. Like, that's a problem. Uh, and everyone saw it. Some pretty high-profile Jeopardy players have come out against the way it all went down as well. So I just needed, before I closed out the show, to take my victory lap because I tweeted, after I read that article, um, I tweeted, you know, if you, like, read this, I would be shocked if you could come out of this believing that Mike Richards is even qualified for this job, let alone that he deserves it because he's truly not qualified to do it. Uh, and he's openly spoken about the fact that he's not, he doesn't like trivia. So I don't know what you, I, I don't know why you would have someone who doesn't like trivia hosting the show. Um, most famous trivia show in the history of American television. There's also some stuff in there about how Ken, about the communications that Ken Jennings had with Alex Trebek before he died Lots of really good stuff. Please go read it. Long live accountability through journalism. That's all. Um, I don't want to see the guy canceled. Don't want him to have to go, you know, move in uh, to a remote island. I just, he should not have this job. This is one of the most coveted game show hosting jobs of all time, if not the most coveted game show hosting job of all time. It's incredibly important to a lot of people. And this job was never, it should never have been his. Um, they should have done a much better job at bringing in a more diverse group of people to guest host. I think they're going to keep doing more guest hosting opportunities as they recover from this blunder. Overall, I feel that I feel vindicated. I said, I tweeted, I will not watch the show if Mike Richards is the, is the host. And now I don't have to worry about that. It's back in my life and accountability has been made. Um, huge difference between being canceled and being accountable. Mike Richards has not been canceled. He wants to have jobs in this industry. He wants to have still have his the privilege of all of the um, opportunities that he's had in the past, and I'm sure they will lead him to a happy, successful life in the future. It just won't be as the host of Jeopardy, and that's as it should be. So, huzzah! Cheers. I have a little bit of coffee here. If you're watching, you can see. Let's do a cheers. Appreciate you guys going on that ride with me. Um, like I said, go check in my in the bio for the link to that 
column because it's really fascinating and it, and it gives a much better idea of how these things unfold, how the politics uh, behind the scenes sort of created the problem um, to begin with and just a lot more nuance to the story. So, so check that out. Thank you for joining me. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tiny Ray Fox and at Shameless TRF. That's my personal and the podcast page. Again, thoughts on the Patriots, thoughts on the NFL teams, underrated rosters, overrated rosters, whatever you got, hit me up. Um, I keep my DMs open. So as long as you're respectful, I will respond and engage with you. And I'm just really grateful you guys are here listening and watching. So thank you so much. I will talk to you again next week. Bye.